This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Doors I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. I have a racing snail. I took off his shell because I thought mm-hmm. I'd make him go faster, but it just made him more sluggish. <sighs> that joke made me feel like the whole last week has made me feel. <laughs> it can't be that bad. I tried to turn it around for you. It's just a, it's consistency, John, is what it's all about, is finding the things that we can continue to do in our in our new kind of lifestyle. Let's answer some questions from our listeners. <laughs> so you don't want to talk about Tiger King? I guess we can talk about Tiger King. Uh, the, the internet is a buzz, or at least it was back in March when we were recording this. Don't know how things are going in April, everybody. With the news of the Tiger King, you told I mean, me... What do you t- think the percentage <laughs> chance is that they're better? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's possible. We're going to make jokes. We're, th- this is how John sold me on Tiger King. He said, most media I am consuming these days like highlights how the world is different now and like how that world in which the media was made was more normal. Right. Tiger King did not make me feel that way. And I was like, yeah, okay, (laughs) I get it. Yeah, there was not a single moment in Tiger King where I found myself thinking, oh, I wish I lived in that world. (laughs) Tiger King is a seven part Netflix documentary about the world of people who own lots of exotic cats, Mm -hmm. like tigers and lions and stuff. And, you know, it's it's a different world, but also a worse one. Yeah, it it makes me think. So one of one of my chief goals, I've always said, is to uh, is to not ever have a controversy section of my Wikipedia page. Mm. And now I have a new one, which has superseded that by a mile. 
which is that I would never want to have a seven-part Netflix documentary series made about <laughs> my life or the area of my world in which I inhabit or people like me at all in any way. Yeah, that's a really good goal. They don't make seven-part Netflix documentaries about people who are crushing it. <laughs> There's a reason that the Mr. Rogers doc was an hour and a half long. Yeah. And that's because Mr. Rogers was great and... Yay. It was uncomplicated. Yeah. <laughs> the the twists. It was like it was like six episodes in before you even got through all the information. How did it take that long? There were a lot of twists and turns. The main theme of Tiger King, so far as I can tell, is actually a really optimistic one. Mm, okay. Which is that most people are good. And indeed, most people have to be good. Because whatever structures supposedly prevent us from being good mm -hmm. don't function well. And I know this because all of the Tiger King people got away with a huge variety of crimes for <laughs> many decades. <laughs> yes. And so somehow most people manage to be good most of the time. Right. Even though seemingly there are minimal consequences to being a monster. <laughs> Yeah, especially because it's not like they were smart about it. It's not like anybody was like, no. boy, we're really going to mastermind our way around this. They'll never catch us. They were just like, well, whatever, let's just do crimes. There's such a big disconnection between like the world of CSI yeah. and law and order yeah. and the actual world of crimes. Yeah. All right, Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, are the astronauts on the International Space Station doing okay, like during the pandemic? Are they just trapped up there in space? No, they are not trapped up there in space. So they're... they're. Yes, they are trapped up there in space. Well, yes. I, get, I mean, like, they, no, I mean, they're sort of not. They can leave at any time. They have, an, they have a thing that they could get into and leave and abandon the space station if they needed to. It would be very bad because then all the experiments we are currently doing on the space station would have to uh, either pause or just not have. Happen. So we really don't want to have them leave. So they obviously are staying. But uh, in the same way that essential workers are working all over the place, that there are essential workers working in uh, the European Space Agency and, and, and NASA and all over the world who are making sure that these people remain safe. They are, however, not sending up the next crew until they complete a 14-day quarantine, because what you don't want is to bring the coronavirus up to the space station, where there would be a 0% chance that 100% uh, of the people on the space station would not have it immediately. So That was one of those sentences that had like 14 negatives, so it's a little hard for me. Would everyone <laughs> on the space station get coronavirus or yes. not? Yes. If oh. there was a single, if there is a single coronavirus on the space station, everyone will get it. That's not true. I mean, it's probably not true. You need a higher viral load than one. As right. somebody who has spent a lot of time reading about epidemiology in his life. Yeah. It might be the only science thing that I can correct you on. Okay. You can avoid a single virus. Yes. If there's a single sick person, then, then that would sick. be a big problem. People, people who can stay home should stay home. And that includes astronauts on the space station whose current <laughs> home is... In yeah space. space yeah I guess that's I guess that's home or at least stay where stay where you're at and that's where they're at. It's interesting how long it takes me before I think, oh, I want to go home, mm -hmm. and home means someplace other than my house. Like if I'm on vacation for three days and I think, oh, I want to go home, I mean, 
Indianapolis. But if I'm on vacation for five days and I think I want to go home, I mean the hotel room. (laughs) That's not how I feel at all. All right, Nick, we have a question from Anonymous who writes, do you have any craft ideas or book suggestions to kill time? That doesn't seem like you had to ask the question anonymously, but I respect (laughs) your desire to keep your private life at all costs. (laughs) You never know these days. I have a book suggestion, John. It's it's You Are an Artist by Sarah Green. Yeah, You Are an Artist contains lots and lots of art assignments, which are essentially craft ideas. Mm-hmm. But also, it's just a really fun, fascinating read, and it comes out April 14th. So it solves both of your problems, Anonymous. Wow. Boom. This is, Hank, as you can imagine, not the best possible time in human history to publish a book. Yeah, no, I, I I hear that. And so Sarah and I were really excited to go on tour together and we were going to meet up with lots of the artists who are in the book. And it was mm-hmm. going to be so cool to be able to see people and make art with them and have big discussions about how to broaden and expand the definition of art and our understanding of who makes it. But instead, we are going to be doing all of that stuff virtually, I guess. Yeah. So if you're a fan of The Art Assignment, there will be a series of live shows over at youtube.com slash The Art Assignment. We might do one at Vlogbrothers as well, just to uh, try to feel good, try to feel accompanied in this strange time of isolation and talk about how to make stuff together. Absolutely. Um, And that kind of brings us to this other question from Erica, who asks, Dear Hank and John, a friend told me that she was excited about the next book in a fantasy series that she's reading. It's coming out this April. Now we're not sure whether or not that release date is accurate. It occurs to me you two might have some idea how everything is impacting the publishing industry. Any insights? Persevering, Erica. I'm glad that you're persevering, Erica. The things that I've heard is that there are certain books that do well in certain channels, as they call them. So if you have a book that sells really well in airports, they're probably not going to release that book right now. So it's it does come down to like sort of the the nature of the individual work. Yeah, but that said, it's a bad time for a lot of yeah. businesses and publishing yeah. is one of those. Yeah. I think on the whole, most people still get most of their books from bookstores. And I should say that almost every bookstore I know of is open and taking phone orders and will ship books to you and will get books Mm -hmm. to you. And Mm -hmm. please take advantage of that. It's a great time to read. Yeah. But it has been a it has been a really hard time for publishing. And I'm I'm worried about it because you know, it's always, it's a pretty small margin business regardless mm-hmm. in the best of times. Also, John, what about this for a million dollar idea? Uh-huh. Uh, it's a it's a book delivery service that uses your local bookstore and it gets to you in like a day because it's using your local bookstore, but you can only order stuff that's in, in stock at your bookstore. It's a good idea. Or maybe just your bookstore does that instead of having it be some kind of... I think a lot of bookstores are doing that. Yeah. I was like, but they don't have all the packing materials to do that. And I'm like, well, maybe they don't need to because they're not going to be sitting in the store all day. So they could just put the books in their car and like leave them on your doorstep. Even better, less packaging in the world. Yeah. I'm curious about this. I don't hate this idea. (laughs) By the way, it feels like the wrong time to be developing new ideas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, look, we need ideas to get us through this. I agree. I'm not saying I, I want to make a bunch of money off of this. I'm saying we need to like use our brains yeah. to make our way through this situation. 
Okay, John, we got a question from Jamie who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've taken up painting since COVID-19 to give myself something to do. It's been really fun and calming. I never know what the painting is going to be when I start it. And the problem is they all turn out to be animals in dresses. Mm. I don't want to draw animals in dresses, but halfway through each painting, I realize that I'm drawing another animal in another dress. I will attach a PDF. My question is, how do I stop drawing animals in dresses you shouldn't, Jamie. Obviously, some something somewhere has has communicated with you that this this is what you're going to focus on, and this is what you're going to focus on. And this anglerfish in a dress that you have sent us is amazing. Yeah, we're going to post it on the Patreon at patreon.com/slash dear Hank and John. You don't have to pay or anything to see it. It's a, it's a high quality anglerfish in a dress painting. Yeah, I tend to agree, Hank. I think that as long as you have to paint animals mm-hmm. in dresses, you will. Yeah. And then when you're finished, you will stop. Right. Well, and I, I find it extremely good to have creative limitations. And and that might be the media you're working with. It might be a four-minute long video and no longer. And it might be an animal in a dress. And one thing that you're not going to be is like the best painter. But you might be one of the best animal and dress drawers. I often think about that with us in YouTube. Like, we're not the best YouTubers, but we might be the best consistently (laughs) under four-minute YouTubers. Yeah, we know what we're doing. Although, probably not. That's true. There are a lot of great YouTubers now, but we are the best YouTubers who are doing what exactly what we're doing. <laughs> that's that's true for everyone, but it is also true for us. <laughs> and I, I no shame in that. I I find that that is a helpful thing to think about sometimes, though. Mm-hmm. Like other people aren't dealing with the exact same set of limitations and opportunities that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. That's hard to remember on a minute by minute basis, but when you can remember it. It really helps you be less hard on yourself, but it also kind of helps you to be less hard on other people. Yeah. And one thing you will never be is hard on this fish in a dress because it's great. It's an excellent fish in a dress. No one can say that's not good. Yeah. It's probably the best fish in a dress painting I've personally ever seen. Yeah. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Skyler, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what does the term under the weather mean? Are we (laughs) as a species normally over the weather? All the best. Skyler. We did talk recently about uh, the like what where does the sky start and how uh, it's kind of everywhere. And so if you jump, you are on top of the sky a little bit. Yeah. So I guess the only way to actually be over the weather would be to jump right uh, up into the air. And then there's some weather underneath you. Or just, I guess, to sit in a car. Mm-hmm. You'd have weather going under you that way. Sure. A swing on a swing. A swing. Yeah, there's a number of ways. Just be on the second floor of a home. Well, Hank, as it happens, that is not too far away from the actual oh, etymology. You look this up. Of the phrase under the weather. It is a maritime term. Of course. Sure. And when people felt sick mm-hmm. or unwell, uh-huh. often because they were nauseated because they were on a boat, yeah, they would go below the deck and then they would be under the weather or or specifically under the weather bow. And that's uh, where the phrase came from. There are a lot of weather. phrases in English that came to us via the world of sailors, including a lot of phrases that have to do with being very sad, like uh, <laughs> feeling blue. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. that comes from sailors. And also in the doldrums, that also comes from sailors. It's a lonely life out there, Hank, on the great wide open seas. Yeah. 
Well, I wonder why the weather bow is the is the one you want to be under. I think that's the side that all the weather's coming from. Yeah, it's the bow toward the wind. Right. Um, the side of the bow toward the wind. So I guess you want to be there because it's tilted up. Well, you're kind of. I think you're. I think you're stuck under it because you can't stop puking. Oh, okay. I don't think it's like for fun. You're just like that's sort of where you roll to, maybe. <laughs> Hank, what is your relationship with boats? Uh, I'm not great at boats. I I did go on a cruise once. Um, I guess twice. I went on a cruise when I was a child, and then I went on a cruise once as an adult. The big cruise ships, I I did not get nauseated on. But every little boat I have been on that had any significant seas, I sort of just have to go to bed and take like take a Dramamine because uh, I do get seasick. I usually have to barf, and then I feel better. Oh, I haven't tried that. It's not great. Um, I don't love boats, but a boat is the subject of my all-time favorite joke on a television program. It's from an episode of the TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And at the very beginning of the episode, one of the characters is buying a boat and the boat salesman says, what are you looking for in a boat? And the guy says, well, first and foremost, the investment value. (laughs) (laughs) I was on a boat once that somebody inherited from Rupert Murdoch. Like Rupert Murdoch died and no, I didn't hear about it. No, like he got it in a divorce. Okay. And I was like, how did I, how did, how did this happen to me? I was on a boat once with some IndyCar drivers, like a very nice boat. (laughs) And I was told how much the boat cost. And I was like, it's not that nice. You guys should sell this. <laughs> you know what's better than this is that amount of money. Or a house. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. purchase a home. <laughs> it's like a boat, yeah. but like, it, you don't barf. Yeah. That said, I know we have a number of listeners. We, we genuinely do have a number of listeners who are like ca- career boat people. And I think that's great. Oh, yeah. And be into whatever you're into. Like, I have expensive hobbies. Okay, and I, I don't like it when people make fun of my expensive hobbies. What's your expensive hobbies? M- mostly sponsoring third-tier English soccer teams. <laughs> That's the big one. <laughs> yeah, mine is like Pilates. <laughs> That is neither expensive nor a hobby. <laughs> that's, that's how you feel. Okay. John, uh, this next question comes from Caitlin, who asks, Dear Hank and John, do chickens go through menopause? Asking for a friend, pumpkins and penguins, Caitlin. Uh, John, I really needed to answer this question because there is a thing. It's called henopause, and it's not just a joke. It's what it's when uh, hens stop laying eggs so often. Now, menopause is a thing that is scientifically defined as a human thing. So, kind of no other organism goes through menopause because of the way that we we have scientifically considered menopause. But there are animals that the female of the species will exit out of the time of their life when they can reproduce. That is pretty uncommon. And hens kind of don't do it. They just get much more sensitive to their environment and will make fewer eggs. So they need better food and and the weather needs to be perfect. And so as they get older, they just sort of have less resources to devote to making eggs. They they can still make them, though. They don't like run out of eggs or anything. Whereas orcas uh, do and can live decades and decades after they go through a kind of orca menopause. It's pretty uncommon in the animal world, but it does it does happen. But henopause is the is the name for the thing where hens start to lay fewer eggs or completely cease laying eggs as they get older. Fascinating. 
Yes. I'm just glad that I just needed everybody to know about that there is indeed a Wikipedia page that is titled Henna Paws. All right, Hank, we got a great question that I really want to ask you. It's from Joseph, who writes, Dear John and Hank, in the song McCavity from the musical Cats, it is clearly stated that McCavity, the mischief cat, has broken, quote, every human law. Mm -hmm. Seeing that there is a large variety of human laws, most of them, by the way, explored in the seven-part documentary Tiger King, (laughs) and McCavity has broken every single one, what's your personal favorite to think that a strange anthropologist anthropomorphized cat man has broken. Mine is tax evasion. That's a good one. Jellically Joseph. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I don't think that you could break every human law without having a Tiger King moment, without like being in charge of a big cat operation for some amount of time. So it's definitely the case that McCavity ran a big cat place. Yeah. That that exploited cats and sold sold them illegally. Yeah, I mean that's one of the laws, right? That's like a whole other level of bad though, right? Mm. Cuz McCavity's a cat. Is he though? Yes. The musical is called Cats. Yeah, but it's called Cats exclamation point. <laughs> and I've always felt like the humans are inside of that exclamation point. Cats. I mean, it doesn't even surprise me that 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 McCavity might have done tax evasion. When you're when you're an anthropomorphized cat, you probably have some income. Yeah. And if you have some income, it is very easy to evade taxes. Well, but you shouldn't. But I mean, it's very. It's, <laughs> oh yeah, just for clarity, you shouldn't. Yeah, I mean. In general, I think all of the ones that are fun to imagine are white-collar crimes. Imagining, like, a cat fudging some mortgage papers is a lot of fun. Insider trading is fun. Like, McCavity gets gets word in advance that Purina is about to have some kind of safety mm-hmm. violation. And so... Right, yeah. Sells all of his Purina stock and then ends up going to jail for three months at a nice joint with tennis courts. Nah, it's, it's deeper than that. One, McCavity was maybe McCavity was working at the Purina plant yes. and intentionally poisoned the cat food right. in in order to tank the stock. Yes. And so not like it was you gotta you got have double whammies. Cause you gotta you're gonna be breaking a lot of laws. You gotta be doing them all at once, like the people from Tiger King do. This is a great idea. Not one law at a time. Th- this is a great concept, by the way, for cats too, Hank. Cats! Like, what a great premise for a movie. It's like, remember that movie Brewster's Millions where Richard Pryor plays a character who inherits a bunch of money Mm -hmm. and he has to lose all of the money in a set period of time in order to inherit a bunch more money? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's like, it's a bunch of cats and they have to break every law. Yes, he breaks every law. Oh, good. and, And if he does, if he succeeds in breaking every human law, I mean, what does McCavity want just... Tacos? No, maybe like if you don't succeed in every in breaking every oh, single human law, you have to go to jail. You for all go of them. to jail for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. But if you do, there should be like a loophole <laughs> where if you break every law, <laughs> then you're good. Then you're good. It's like how Mr. Burns yeah. in The Simpsons is 400 years old, but he's still alive because he has every disease, but they're in perfect balance. Right. That should be the out. It's either McCavity is going to jail for a very, very long time or McCavity gets the little known you committed every crime, get out of jail free card. However, if that were the case, if we had such a deal in the U.S. system, 
everybody from Tiger King would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by committing every crime. The people from Tiger King tried so hard, but they didn't quite get there. <laughs> I don't know. They don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about what crimes the nobody in Tiger King committed. Yeah. <laughs> Today's podcast, of course, also brought to you by Fishes and Dresses. Fishes and Dresses. I, that's right. I pluralized fish. This podcast is also brought to you by The Weather Bow. We hope that you are not under it. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by the International Space Station. The International Space Station, currently with zero cases of COVID-19. Woo-woo. We got a Project for Awesome message here from Claire from America, but in England. It's to Corn and Felix and then... A.B., Cullen, Shannon, and Bethany. My dearest boys, you're probably wondering if this message is for you. It is. I wanted you to know how happy it makes me that we listen and laugh together at this podcast. Even you, Felix, I see you laughing. We talk about weird American things, big important things, and silly things. It's so great. Love to all of you. Thank you, Hank and John, for being y'all. And thank you, Claire, who is a big supporter of our work with Partners in Health in Sierra Leone and the building of the Maternal Center of Excellence. So thanks for donating to the project. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. For awesome and in general for being awesome. Woo, woo, woo. This next question comes from Thalu, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my boyfriend loves your show, and I'd like to take him to see you guys live. Can you please make your website less confusing? I can't find your tour anywhere. Also, he says you only go to weird Midwestern cities, but we live in D.C. Could you please come here? I live in his shoe, Thalu, or Thalu, I'm not sure. Anyway, First of all, we're not we're not on tour. We're not going on tour now or for a while. Yeah, we don't only go to weird Midwestern cities. We don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I do agree with you on the fact that our website is more confusing than it needs to be. And I Some of this is Hank's fault because he does too many things. So, yeah. If you go to hankandjohn.com, there's a who we are section, which is pretty self-explanatory. Then there's a project section, which it's just way too complex, and that's Hank's fault. <laughs> then there's appearances, currently empty. Yeah, and that's why it's confusing. Yeah, there's a listen. Should say something. Could our website be a little more contemporary? Yes.
That's the end of it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end. That's the end. Also, <laughs> it says upcoming appearances in really big text. And it used to be that there were things there and there would be things there if we had upcoming appearances. Yeah. I mean, you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the website and then it's on the left side to find the word tour, which I think is the word that people are looking for. Yeah. And that is a problem. But is it a problem right now? No. Is it like one of the 10 problems that Hank and I have to solve before the end of the day or very bad things will happen? No. So, so yeah. I don't know when things are going to start getting done around here, Thalu, that are not proper emergencies, but it may be a while. But we hear you and we agree. This next question comes from Rebecca, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why does rubbing alcohol evaporate? If I left a full bottle of rubbing alcohol open on my bathroom counter, how long would it take before all of it was gone? Social distancing and self-disinfecting, Rebecca. I know the answer to this question, and it's wild. Well, I don't know the answer to this question, but I have an answer nonetheless, which is that okay. the reason rubbing alcohol evaporates, Rebecca is because everything evaporates because this whole thing is temporary and that is the end of the answer. Well, in fact, rubbing alcohol is, uh, you know, temporary in the way of all things, um, but, but the evaporation does not make it go away. The alcohol is still there. It's just floating around in the air and, and blowing out of the vents in your house and going somewhere else. Matter is neither created nor destroyed, John. So in that one way, right. everything is permanent. Well, not permanent, but very long term. Ah, matter is permanent. We don't know that for sure. We don't know it for sure, but we have no evidence to the contrary. <laughs> Did you know that most of the water on Earth is older than the sun? Well, I mean, what does that mean? Most of the water, not all of it, but most of the water on Earth mm -hmm. is older than the sun. It has been water in this area of the universe since before the sun was a sun. Right. Yeah. I did know that. I did not know that. In fact, it was only it was only figured out two years ago. So we are still figuring things out. Oh, yes. We are definitely still figuring things out. We used to think that, well, of course, like water has been water for a long time, etc. But we used to think a lot of it formed here mm -hmm. in chemical reactions. But no. Yeah. Most of it. Yeah. It, it, it forms, it forms in the, uh, in the interstellar medium. Yeah. Which is wild. Do you want to know the answer to the question though, John? Yeah. It's because in any given cup of a liquid, you put your thermometer in there and it'll tell you that it is room temperature. But that is the average of all of the molecules. It is not the, the temperature of each individual molecule. And inside of a glass of water or a glass of alcohol, the, the molecules are all going very different speeds. So they might have like two molecules run into one molecule and that one will get going really fast and then it'll run into something else and it'll slow way down. Yeah. And heat is the speed of molecular motion. Right. That's all we're measuring there. Right. And so some molecules in a glass of water are above boiling and some molecules are below freezing. But because they are never sort of matched up with other molecules that are also above boiling or below freezing, and the, the, so the entire glass averages out to room temperature. But those individual molecules that get above the vaporization point of that liquid, they escape if they are on the top. If, you're, if they're at the very top of the surface of the liquid, they will escape in that moment. They will evaporate. And that's what evaporation is. It's basically 
individual boiling. It's just like one molecule boiling at a time. And the uh, evaporation temperature, the boiling temperature of alcohol is significantly lower than water. So that happens faster at the same temperature for a glass of alcohol than for a glass of water. This is also why if you have a glass with a wider opening mm-hmm. that has more area on the surface, yes. it evaporates faster. Yeah, because if it gets going, you know, super fast and it's in the middle of the cup, it's got nowhere to go. It'll just hit another molecule. It has to fly off into some place where there's nothing else to run into or much less stuff to run into. It's interesting. When I drink water, I don't feel aware of the fact that some of the molecules are below freezing and some are above boiling. But when I drink bourbon, I do feel aware of that fact. <laughs> I don't know why that is. That's interesting. Just an observation. I like it. I like it. That, that sounds like really great. Really, you can really taste both. Sounds like a good, like good copy for a bourbon ad, uh, but not necessarily scientifically accurate. I mean, to be fair, very little in the field of bourbon marketing is based on proper science. Right, and that's one. That's one of the rules. McCavity is going to have to break false advertising. <laughs> just got to get a get a job on Madison uh, Avenue just for that one. Almost, almost positive that that law is never enforced. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's true. It's got to break it. You don't have to get arrested. It's true. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I wanted to answer this question from Jen, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I live in the UK, and I'm classified as a key worker during the coronavirus crisis. I work in a hospital, and even though my usual job is administrative, I am rightfully now being prepared to work in another team when needed, such as catering or housekeeping or healthcare assistance. This means I still have to go out and get my regular two buses and go into work every day. On top of this, I had to postpone my wedding, which was meant to be in July, And also, I am doing a distance learning English literature degree. My tutors are being very understanding, though. I'm young and I'm fit and I don't have children, so I feel I am better placed than most people to be in this position. But I'm struggling and I know that the worst is yet to come and it scares me a lot. So my question is, how do I stay positive now that I find myself unexpectedly on the front line of a pandemic? Well, Jen, first, thanks very much. One of the kind of weird things about this crisis is... Hank, so many people are being asked to take big risks and real risks in this crisis. And Jen is one of them. People who work in pharmacies and grocery stores and hospitals are having to do really difficult, scary work. And these people really are heroic. And I think it's great that we are celebrating and acknowledging them as heroes. But I also think it's really important to do what we can to support them. Like, instead of just being like, oh, you're such a hero, Mm -hmm. the question becomes for me, well, what can we do to support these people? Now, for the healthcare workers in my life, that means reaching out to them more, offering to bring by dinner, you know, in a socially distant, delivered to the curbside kind of way. Uh It also means staying home Mm -hmm. because I can stay home and I can help flatten the curve. And that means that I can lower the risk that those frontline people are taking on Mm -hmm. by minimizing the potential damage that I personally do in this outbreak. Yeah. So hopefully, Jen, one thing you can know is that a lot of people are thankful for your work, what you're doing, and that we're also doing what we can 
to make that better and to have that a little bit of solidarity there. Now, of course, not everybody is going to be doing or is even is able to do like the kinds of stuff that you will be up to. But we all have a part to play in this. And uh, and so one thing that I hope I hope you feel is that there is support and you certainly have ours. And I think everybody listening to feels that same way. Yeah, I hope that offers some strength. I hope there is a real feeling of solidarity there. And that hopefully there are support structures for for people when they they need a break from this. And I hope that is that is the case for you. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about this is that when I worked at a children's hospital, it was certainly nothing like this. Nothing, nothing like this. But I was able to leave every day and think, well, that mattered. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing matters. It matters so much not just to the patients that you're serving, but also to their families and to their friends and to the entire community. A lot is being put on you, and I'm really sorry about that. But your work is very important. It has deep, deep meaning. And I hope that there might be some comfort in that. All right, John, it is time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I have news. Do you? Hank, I do have some news from AFC Wimbledon this week from just a few hours ago, actually, which is that AFC Wimbledon's great player, Scott Wagstaff, Mm -hmm. just had a daughter, Isabella. He and his wife, Ellie, had a baby. And Scott said, it was honestly the best moment of my life. It's been a long week with little sleep, but worth every minute. Just a nice reminder that uh, there are still really, really, really cute babies coming into this world. They posted a picture of Scott with his daughter, and oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> it is a cute, cute baby. Head over to AFC Wimbledon's Twitter if you just if you need a great baby picture right now, and if you're anything like me, you do desperately. <laughs> Well, good. That's that is news, John. In Mars news, the Perseverance rover, which is our our what we were used to be calling the Mars 2020 rover, it is getting assembled, all put together, and it has a new accessory. And that accessory is the names of 10,932,295 people. They were all submitted as part of NASA's Send Your Name to Mars campaign. So if you put your name into that website, you are now part of science history. The names are etched onto three silicon chips with an electron beam, along with, because they didn't have enough stuff, essays from 155 finalists in the Name Your Rover contest. So uh, the silicon chips are each, how would you, how, how big would you think that would be? 10 million names, 155 essays. How big? Mm, like a square inch. Yeah, it's like a thumbnail, like the yeah. size of a thumbnail. I was actually did a great job answering that question. You did. You got it. You got it right on. The team is also, uh, in addition to doing that, is has reconfigured some parts of the rover so that it can ride on that Atlas V rocket, along with attaching the name chips. Uh, these steps are being taken by the Perseverance team to keep the rover prep on schedule for the July launch. All right. Perseverance rover and a beautifully foolish endeavor, both launching in July. One may be slightly more important, but we're trying to keep on schedule. <laughs> I, I love that they named it Perseverance. The, the name becomes better by the day. Can I tell you one more thing about Scott Wagstaff and his AFC Wimbledon baby? Yeah. There is a woman, Sharon Armfield, who is a huge Wimbledon fan and who sells programs at the games. 
And she knits a blanket for every single baby born to every single AFC Wimbledon player and has done this for many years. And I just think it is the best. It is the best thing. Yes, Oren. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Oren. I just got I just got choked up, Oren, talking about Sharon Armfield making blankets for all the Wimbledon players. Oren, do you want to come be on the podcast? What podcast? My podcast. Your podcast. Well, it's more my podcast, Oren. It's also Uncle John's podcast. Can you say hi, Uncle John? Hey, Oren, how's it going? Hi, Uncle John. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Good. Yeah? Are you feeling kind of drowsy? Mm-hmm. I'm drowsy. Oh, are you? Oren really likes, likes the word drowsy right now. Yeah. Are you happy, Oren? And I make play with the switches. Yeah, we got... What'd you get? We got new lights in my uh, studio because we're filming SciShow in here now, and he likes to play with the switches. Oh, cool. Oren, do you know what you're going to be when you grow up? Um, I think that it went all the way that Okay. Cool. <laughs> it's going all the way that way. It's going all the way that way? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's making the orange. Do you think you'll be like a journalist or a nurse? He doesn't know about jobs yet. Oren, you don't know about jobs? I know about drowsy. You know about drowsy? <laughs> I know about drowsy, too, buddy. I know mm. about drowsy, too. All right, buddy. Oh, why, what is on you? What is this? All right, I think this is our... Uh, my hands, too. I just <laughs> ate a chocolate bar. You just ate a chocolate bar? I think this is our t- time to end the podcast. Thank, thanks for potting with me. This podcast is... Produced by Rosiana Halls Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Joseph Tudor Medish. The music that you're listening to right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, say it, Oren. Don't, Don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.